Hello and welcome to episode 114 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fan's weekly podcast of a myriad of topics. I'm Mike Solosi and I'm Monsoon on the RPGFan.com boards, and today with me is Alana Hagues. Hello everyone, I'm Diamond Falcons on the boards. Always great to be here. I'm very excited to be here this week. Right on, and we are only a duo this week. But we are a duo that will be discussing Breath of Fire 4, the classic Capcom PS1 RPG, and uh, for a series that is has seen better days, but these are the better days of Breath of Fire. So um, I've had a lot of fun playing the beginning of it, and we're going to have a lot of fun talking about it. So Alana, um, like prior to playing Breath of Fire 4 for the podcast, uh, what's your history with the series? Um, I have played Breath of Fire 4 before. It was... I played it when it first came out. Uh, my memory's very, very hazy of it, though, so um, I don't really remember too much about it, so it's been really nice coming back and playing it, but otherwise I have played Breath of Fire 3 and Breath of Fire 5, Dragon Quarter, mm. um, so I've played all of the more recent games. I didn't finish Breath of Fire 5, and I know that it's a very popular game amongst some staff members. Mm -hmm. I hated it when I played Breath of Fire 5, but we're not going to talk uh, about that. Yeah, that's Dragon the one that's Quarter. a little bit more like a roguelike. Mm-hmm, exactly. Right. Okay. I reckon I need to give it a second chance for sure, and will do definitely, but um, Breath of Fire 3 and 4, I've both played both. We didn't get Breath of Fire 3 until the PSP re-release in 2006 or 7, the same as Tales of Eternia. Um, those are two PSP releases that did not come out in the United States <laughs> physically. Uh, but, no. But, but we did get both of those games um, as PS1 games, so the, I'm, I'm not saying that <laughs> the UK had it better. <laughs> No, um, but I haven't played any of the older ones, so 1 and 2 I've kind of not touched and maybe stayed clear of a little bit. Um, but I really remember enjoying my time with 3 and what I remember of 4. Um, they're quite quaint RPGs, they're very old school, so it's nice to come back and play them in the middle of a year, which has been over overloaded with really good stuff, so yeah. it's nice to take a few years back. Yeah. Uh, 2017 has been crazy, but we'll talk about that on a different podcast. Um, now, me personally, <laughs> I'm almost the opposite of you, Alana. I've only played the older games. 1, 2, and 3 I've, I've played, but I only finished 2. I got, oh, I don't know, 4 or 5 hours into 1 and like 9 or 10 hours into 3, but I finished Breath of Fire 2 to completion, and... Um, old school and quaint are two appropriate adjectives for that one. It, uh, I, I don't think it's one of the best top tier RPGs on the Super Nintendo, which is a, 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 a system with a lot of good RPGs on it. But I remember liking the characters and sort of like the visual um, design of the game. Like it, like I thought basically I thought it had a cool, colorful world with cool animal characters. So which is what which is you know and oh and I liked fusing. Um, priestesses into my characters to turn them into monsters, <laughs> I guess. But uh, Breath of Fire 2 is weird. But mm. um, I, I thought it was... I thought Breath of Fire 2 was alright, but not as good as the best Super Nintendo RPGs. And I didn't get that grabbed by Breath of Fire 1 or 3. Uh, I remember being stuck in a long dungeon in 3 and just giving up because there were so <laughs> many there were so many other good PS1 RPGs. Mm, yeah, it came out at a bad time and... Breath yeah. of Fire 4 kind of came out at a bad time as well. It came out the same year Chrono Cross came out and also came out 
towards the end of the PS1's life cycle. I think it came out 2000 in America and 2001 in Europe. Yeah, well, um, so I, I only I bought a PS1 in 2000, so I was playing catch-up <laughs> on a lot of RPGs. And when mm. Breath of Fire 3 happened, I, th I think I tried playing it when I was in college, so probably in the 0506 range. And it just did not grab me when I was surrounded by a giant PS1 backlog and, and the beginning of a PS2 backlog. So I... <laughs> Um, I, I, I never really connected with Breath of Fire 3, but what I've played of 4, and I'm about, I think, 10 hours in right now in Breath of Fire 4, I like it a lot more than 3 so far. Good, that's good, because it's a, um, fans often dispute over 3 and 4, they're almost like equal footing, I can completely see why, and I need to give 3 a replay as well, because it's been a fair few years since I've done that. But there are minor differences between the two, but they're quite similar um, fundamentally, and there's a couple of different mechanics that are added into 4, mm -hmm. um, but... I think once you've played four, you can go back and play three quite easily. They just play quite similarly, um, and obviously they all look really nice. So. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, my more immediate goal is to finish four because I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little <laughs> further behind than I would rather. And I'm, I'm not, a, I'm definitely not at a halfway point. I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a little bit into chapter two, and I, my understanding is that there's four chapters, but. Yeah. Uh, one thing that you mentioned, how uh, how three feels similar to four, I think that is one thing that is true of um, at least all four of the ones I've played, is that there is a thematic and setting consistency here, because mm. um, Breath of Fire, the the world of Breath of Fire is uh, very colorful, and there's a lot of anthropomorphic animal people, like multiple races living in what I would say is relative harmony. <laughs> But like, like even in the first couple um, towns in Breath of Fire 4, there's, uh, there's humans, and then there's dog people, and cat people, and mole people, <laughs> and fish people, and frog people, and anteater armadillo people, yes. and, and, and winged people, and plant people, and occasional robots or automata of some kind. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the funny thing is, is that it's been like that since the beginning. It's, they're not like introducing new new wacky uh races of characters there's there's playable mole people and fish people and frog people in breath of fire one and two it's a really cool colorful um fantasy world that ha is consistently that way game to game it's quite impressive mm, and even the humans that you do encounter aren't really human so you've referred to the winged people which are the mostly citizens of windia and nina is a winged person i think in every single game but like yes maybe slight spoilers for the end of chapter two but ryu is not or i might have even dropped it well obviously we know that ryu in every game is some kind of race that could turn into a dragon yes and in uh, this he's something endless yeah in something um uh in, 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 if, if memory serves, in Breath of Fire 2, dragon, the dragon people were a race that basically ruled the Breath of Fire world many years yeah. ago and are um, either dying out or underground or very rare uh, in the world then. And I think it's, that's basically consistent with, uh, with 3 and 4 because in, um, in both of them there's only a handful of dragon people that you encounter and dragons are very rare, special monsters in a world full of all kinds of monsters well in four they're gods specifically yeah. <laughs> so yeah they're yeah <laughs> very rare indeed and um i i maybe there's uh I, okay I, I don't think this is a major spoiler but when um in a couple of the folu segments they mention that he's searching for his other half or uh, uh or you know some another dragon that will make him more powerful or more complete i think that's pretty obviously ryu so yeah, so yeah, so so, right. yeah, so there's some kind of like Folu and Ryu. I 
understand are very special and usual dragon people. And is this, um, <laughs> maybe this is jumping ahead a little bit. Does it seem weird to you that um, Ryu can transform into a dra into a, a sort of humanoid dragon form from the beginning, but it doesn't seem to startle uh, <laughs> Cray or Nina at all? <laughs> no, it does. Yeah, I thought that. I was like, surely I can't transform into my dragon. Oh, I can. But you haven't told Nina. And I'm thinking, it's really obvious anyway, because yeah. <laughs> the beginning of the game cranks up that Cray and Nina are on their sand flyer and they get attacked by the sand dragon, or a dragon, um, because he's stirred up. Um, he's upset because he's heard there's, felt there's another dragon in presence or another endless in presence, and that is clearly Ryu who is laying mm. in the middle of the pit naked. Yeah, um, well, no, not... no, 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 but there was a flying dragon, and then like there's a bright light, and then there's Ryu in a pit naked. Yes, yeah, that's right. But yeah. Nina, the, what bothered me was that Cray and Nina aren't surprised or bothered or anything by Ryu transforming into a dragon for every <laughs> boss battle in my case. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so the stuff you alluded to earlier, oh, you're not actually far off of being told specifically that Folu is the other half of Ryu, so... Yeah, and yeah, also Ryu is a fire dragon and Folu is a water dragon, which is, you know, a nice, mm -hmm. little, nice little yin and yang thing going on. I dig it. Very cool. Yeah, very, very cool indeed. But any anyway, so we should um, uh, run it back a little bit. Uh, Breath of the Breath of Fire games all have... Uh, uh, anthropomorphic animal characters for much of your party, if not basically all of your party in every game. Um, the party so far where I am in the game, you have Ryu the Dragon Man, Nina the Winged Girl, Cray the Tiger Man, Skius the Dog Man, and Urshan the Quirky Female Robot. And, <laughs> yeah, so uh, one more. yeah. Oh yeah, so one one more I haven't met yet, I guess. And which no. makes which makes sense because there's there's six spaces in the in the menu. It's it's easy to see. Um, which I think is a, it's a fun variety of uh, civil, silhouettes and character types, which is something that I like a lot, which you've probably heard me mention in uh, in recent podcasts, because FF7 has come up a couple times in recent podcasts. But yeah. uh, uh, so far, I really, really like these characters, even though I don't think they get a ton of dialogue to shine. No, they don't. Um, it, they're just a, a nice camaraderie, don't they? I think it's that... I mean, I said before we started recording that these feel like old, quaint RPGs of the mm -hmm. kind of SNES era, and they have that like ability about them that you don't need all this dialogue to interact. So you would like going back to the Chrono Trigger episodes, you like those characters because of their designs, because of the way that they fit in with the party and how different they all are off of each other. And I think the same applies to Breath of Fire 4, in that although each of the characters follows a specific trope, like Nina's the determined princess but she's clumsy and she's also and and, and naive and uh yeah and, yeah and cares very much about justice but can't execute it herself really <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so they all follow a series of tropes but actually it works in their favor because they just really balance each other out and they work really well together and they're so diverse like uh, you brought up urshin urshin initially when i first played it back in 2001 i was not convinced i would like them because i'm not really uh, robot person or anything like that but Urshan is turning out to be my favorite character so far and I will talk about it later or maybe next episode but he she as the, a bit of a uh, the, yeah Urshan does refer to herself as a she many times ah, I, I, I have ah. I have noticed that which has me which raises one eyebrow in my on my face <laughs> It can raise one eyebrow on your face, but don't worry. I'm saying he, she, because something happens later in the game oh. and you find out. Yeah, so... Okay. It's only at the end of chapter two, so we can talk about it maybe towards the end. Um, 
Um, um, Ocean is or I can dive in. No, no, we'll, we'll we'll save that a little for later. But um, I I, I want to stay where we are now and on how the, uh, we don't get a lot of dialogue because may, maybe it's because I've played a lot of Square RPGs which are story and dialogue heavy, or um, maybe more recent RPGs which just have more <laughs> dialogue and more cutscenes than Breath of Fire Four does. But I think that um, I'm getting a lot of my feel for the characters and in more in battle than in. Uh, than in regular dialogue because like when you run through a dungeon in breath of fire 4 you're not going to get um people talking throughout the dungeon it's not going to be like oh you pause every few rooms and there and you hang out and they say something it's there's not a lot of on of um of regular text where the characters interact and if you have urshan in your party often there'll be story scenes where urshan doesn't say anything because i guess she doesn't have much to say but um, I'm getting, but but in battle, you uh, you get more voice work out of them. They uh, they're these really big, good-looking, expressive sprites that I think uh, that I think show the character personality a little bit. Maybe it's just like Capcom in the '90s had a lot of really good sprite work because this is this is a game that came out around the same time as oh I don't know Street Fighter Alpha Two, and uh, and and just it, right when Capcom was at their big, colorful, cartoony best, um, mm. uh, designing sprites. So I think just like the way that how good the sprites look in battle and um and uh just the like you you get something out of the characters from like the personality of their designs rather than a lot of dialogue and if anything i would i would like the, for this game to have more dialogue cuz i do like the five characters i've met so far but mm. but again maybe it's because i've just played a lot of you know modern rpgs and square rpgs the 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 characters feel a little flat in dialogue, but very unique and expressive in their design. Yeah, I'd agree with that, definitely. I mean, some characters obviously get more time to shine than others, so obviously Nina and Cray, Ryu is obviously the silent protagonist anyway. Um, I know you've just got Skiers, but he doesn't get a lot of time to shine, and again, you have to kind of Per in like interpret it through the way he moves and the way his character design and things like that. Um, I, I very much appreciate his lazy approach to his uh, to his job <laughs> as a as a uh, as a what would you call him a like a like a parole officer almost. A mercenary. He's a mercenary basically. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. I think we discussed this on the uh, dog episode. Um. Mm -hmm. but... Yeah. There's yeah, there's dog um, people in every Breath of Fire game, and he is, there is. and he is a very good. And I, I, this is something that I that didn't really occur to me when we were when, and it was just you and I on the dog episode, just like now. Um, yeah. But like I, I think Skius looks a little bit like a sheepdog, and he does. And dogs in other Breath of Fire games don't always look the same. Like like Bao in uh, in Breath of Fire Two is a bulldog, and Bao in Breath of Fire One is more of a hound dog or like sort of a more wolf like dog. But I think Skius is a sheep dog, because you know how of how shaggy and how his uh, fur hangs a little yeah. bit. Well, and is, yeah, 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 exactly. But I and and I'm getting the impression he's guarding your he's supposed to guard your party like a sheepdog guarding sheep but he's a very lazy sheepdog that doesn't care much about his job it's <laughs> <laughs> an interesting interpretation for him because um as i said we talked about i think i brought this up in the dog episode but um and we will go into this probably more in episode two of this podcast but um breath of fire 4 is quite notorious for having a lot of censorship in it and skius is probably the biggest culprit of this because all right he's, he's um, a drunk right 
He's a drunk. In Japan, he has a drinking problem. So I think they've translated it over as a stammer and his laziness. So he's not alcoholic. He's just lazy. That's like balancing out the two things. But I think Skias is a good dog, <laughs> but he's not got a lot of interaction and he doesn't get too much anyway, as far as I remember. But he's just kind of the cool, silent type anyway. Like he fits that stereotype again. Um, You brought up the sprite work and you brought up Capcom's really the like colorful bright period and this might be a controversial statement but i think breath of fire for sprite work is the best sprite work i've ever seen and been involved with because oh wow absolutely it's gorgeous it, like no it, this, is, this is very good favorites. especially especially for an rpg like i mean i i play a lot of fighting games from the late 90s early 2000s and and i have a very there's a very you know warm place in my heart where i think of the Street Fighter Alpha and like Garou Mark of the Wolves and King of Fighters 99's kind of sprite work. And this is a level of expressiveness and color that is at that. Mm, for definite. It definitely rivals those. But for an RPG, it's absolutely gorgeous. I mean, I think the way that you, we went into this, really, the, the way that they move in, in battle, like the wind blows through Ryu's hair and Skiers is standing there and his cloak blows in the wind and you've got Urshin's little cape. Nina's wings are flapping. You've got Cray's tails wagging, and and, and the way Cray, the way Cray handles uh, the way Cray handles his giant club, where he'll he'll like lay it on the ground for um, for magic attacks. He has to like hoist it, like, um, communicating that it's really heavy, and it's just like with all these small movements, it's communicating sort of like the the build and the whether they're clumsy or agile, whether they're <laughs> like like, like just, there's a lot of subtleties in the way these sprites move that is. <laughs> You can really tell that it was that um, this game had uh, animators and artists that were at the top of their game making this. Absolutely. I think my favorite animation is Urshin's running animation where she just scrunches up and hovers everywhere. So I like to try and use her as much as I can because it's just really cute. But it's just even the enemy sprites are really wonderful to look at. They're so bright and diverse and they move in such different ways it's just really wonderful i just really really love looking at this game it just is absolutely beautiful really <laughs> and, and also well I'll, I'll um i'll get to my favorite sprite work in just a minute but um uh, but tying into that um this game has more of a, a more of an eastern aesthetic than i'm used to seeing in fantasy rpgs which you know fantasy rpgs love living in you know, medieval Europe, Norse mythology, kind of uh, like Tolkien-inspired fantasy sometimes, or like like Tolkien-inspired fantasy that goes through a Japanese lens to become this unique JRPG look that you and I have grown very attached to over the years. But mm. um, Breath of Fire 4 feels more Eastern in that there's more Eastern architecture, um, characters dress uh, in a way that isn't like your medieval European armor, like um, like like Ryu is basically wearing kung fu pants. Yeah, and uh, and uh, <laughs> and and like basically the, the look of the characters makes me think of, especially since, since most of the first quarter of the game is in sort of a desert region, is like a martial arts wuja story in the Silk Road yeah. or something. And, like that. Yeah, and, yeah, and tying into that, my favorite animated sprite work is Fo Lu because he's. He's so cool with his like he summons a laser sword. He does these he has these very aloof badass gestures when he casts spells and when he does his normal attacks it does the Dragon Ball Z sort of van like vanishing speed kind of <laughs> movement. Yeah. 
which is another another like wuja martial arts story thing that Toriyama adapted into his own crazy way. So it, in a way, this is definitely a fantasy RPG. Yeah, his backflips really sweet. Yeah, yeah, right. When he does the backflip to get back into position, it's awesome. Because mm. yeah, I was really struck by how confusingly Breath of Fire falls east is our west. Oh, right. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, the, the... our west is yeah, it's vice versa. So like basically Asia is in the west and Europe and America are in the east for Breath of Fire. Right. But it's very balanced. Like it does feel very eastern overall. And there's obviously two halves. So the home kingdom that you're in like where Windia is is definitely more medieval inspired, but there are more barren desert regions than I probably was more used to at that time. There's more f um and then obviously when you get over to the um Folu Empire and the Western Kingdom that's obviously far more Asian inspired and really cool looking, yeah. but it's definitely an interesting turn. And I think Breath of Fire as a series likes to stick to the kind of differences. Like they tend to do the Western Eastern kind of thing, but I don't ever remember it as prominently in three as I do in four. There's always two different kingdoms that are different, but this seems to be the most prominent split between the two. Yeah. I, I don't remember a split in architecture like that. In Breath of Fire hmm. 2, there was um there was the Kingdom of the Frog People, which was uh which was sort of like, you know um, like 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 Louis the Fourteenth France, and the Monkey People <laughs> were in a uh, had a kingdom that was sort of uh a, a little bit more Eastern inspired, and and Windia is in that game, and Nina is a um she's different in that she's exiled from Windia because she was the uh, she's a Windian with black wings, which is a a harbinger of of doom, yeah. um, but. Like, like I remember the the different kingdoms in Breath of Fire too having these different aesthetics and different feels, even though you don't visit necessarily all of them for all characters. But it, it's it's definitely a two opposing forces, maybe maybe a yin and yang thing, like I suggested earlier, uh, for the eastern and western kingdoms here. And and like the desert in between them is almost like the modern Middle East and Silk Road, <laughs> like <laughs> the eastern, like the Far East and the and the medieval West separated by a desert region of of merchants and traders, which I which yeah. is a, a neat little thing. But it's a uh, the the difference in architecture and design is um something that is uh. You see in other RPGs, but I think is executed pretty well. It makes uh, when when you visit the West for the first time near the end of Chapter One, it really feels foreign, and uh, and yeah. and th and threatening in a way. Even though, um, well, let's jump into the plot a little bit because uh, uh, for the most of Chapter One, um, Nina happens upon Ryu. She's trying to um, help Cray repair their ship so they can uh, so they can look for Nina's sister. And so you go around the desert region for most of Chapter 1, and eventually you transport to the Western Kingdom, where you hang around in one building for about 15 minutes, and then you're sent back. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a little weird to me. There was no cap-off boss fight, no denouement. It's like, oh, mm. nope, we, you crashed at, at the wrong time, time to get out of here. And then, and then sort of Chapter 2 starts. It, did that seem a little bit jarring to you? It was very odd, and if I remember correctly, a couple of hours beforehand, Ryu had a dream, didn't he, about yes. that sequence. Yeah. yeah, so it was really jarring, because I thought where the dream cuts off, I thought, that's where you're going to go into a big boss fight, something's mm -hmm. going to happen, and obviously you're going to come out. No, you literally get found by, you know I think his name is, confusingly, um, <laughs> the, 
the scientist or whatever he is. I, um, oh, shoot. I'm, I'm not going to be able to remember character names other than the main party. <laughs> <laughs> I remember him specifically because he has a bit of a reputa uh, reputation among Breath of Fire fans for being a bit of an arse. So, yeah, you might want to keep an eye out for him in future chapters. But um, He did yeah, have the I look was... of the of the evil chancellor or evil advisor kind of guy. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. If there's ever an antagonist in this game, it's more him. Like, the character you hate the most is probably going to be him. But yeah, like, when that dream ended, I thought, oh god, I'm going to have a boss fight at that point. And when I got to that bit, I thought, oh, it's this bit. And everything played out exactly the same. And obviously it didn't cut out after the curtain. And then you just get carted away. And I just thought, oh my god, like, really? That was the end of the chapter. And it was kind of... It wasn't, I wouldn't say it was like a it wasn't disappointing i'd say but it was definitely kind of unusual because having finished chapter two that does end with a big boss fight so okay, well that's something for me to look forward to then because i <laughs> I, I was a little disappointed because i thought that hmm. um i mean when that happened when you cross over to the other continent i'm like oh shoot this is probably chapter two is going to start soon because this feels like a new place and a new setting and a and a uh, mm. sort of like the, the start of another chapter. It, it That was logical to me. But instead it just sort of cuts off early and you're sent back to the same area you were before. Yeah, they do drag it out because you're not in the Western Kingdom either by the end of chapter two. And right. I'm just getting there about a third of the way through chapter three or halfway through chapter three. So it is a big tease and it is frustrating, I would say, because ways you get to experience the western kingdom is through folu so far and right. even then kind of snippets because i don't think you've experienced any towns at this point have we um you've um, been you, on um... you go to the border town at yes. right at right at the end of chapter one um after you cross the bridge but it hardly counts as a town it's like hmm. it, it's like two buildings but um <laughs> but and and you don't see that much of folu because he's sort of in the same uh uh the same mountainous area for the three scenes you get from him in chapter one. L let's go back a little bit. Uh, Folu is another dragon person like Ryu. He wakes up from a an elaborate from a long sleep, or at, in what looks like an elaborate temple or tomb. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, in, it's a tomb. Yeah, in in the west, and he uh, and he's immediately accosted by by an imperial mage and a bunch of imperial soldiers. And it, they, they say that he's basically the, the original emperor of the Western Empire, and yes. it's even named after him, and he's woken up, I guess, to take it back, or it's, his, his awakening was foretold, or at, least, um, or at least known by the Empire, and so now he's slowly gaining his powers back and fighting off people from the own king, his own empire that he founded a thousand years ago. And uh, and and, mm -hmm. and mentioned that he won't re get to full strength until he re he reunites with his quote unquote other half, which is almost certainly Ryu, right? Am I mostly mm -hmm. correct yep, so far? Yeah, correct. All right, you are but, pretty much correct. Yeah, it's it's. I don't think it's really that much of a stretch because they they they've said enough in the game that uh, it's either very very easy to read between the lines or they say it outright. And, oh yeah, it's it's easy to read between the lines because you just really have to put two and two together. Like Ryu, the minute the minute you know really as if you do one of Folu's dragon transformations and you see that they're basically exactly the same mm. as Ryu's. Um, yeah, it's really obvious from the get go. But I don't think it's meant to be a secret um, or definite. Uh... Yeah, but uh, but basically you get a, a segment to play as Folu, 
every few hours, uh, like in, in when you rest at an inn or something, or are are doing mandatory traveling in a um, with the main party. And the Fulu segments are so cool. <laughs> he's like he's like levels he's like level seventy. He's strong as hell. All of his moves are stylish. He's beating up dragons on his own. Oh yeah. man, Folu's great. I get like I I, I know he's basically a villain, uh, uh, because he's you know a former evil emperor trying to take his kingdom back, but I, I can't help but want to root for the bad guy a little bit here. <laughs> no, definitely. I mean, I feel exactly the same. Like jumping from a level five character to a level sixty-five character is really cool. He's so overpowered. He gets double attacks as well. Like you've had all this like these turn-based combat where each character only gets one go, but Folu, no, he gets two slashes. Is that, is that, is that unique to Folu? Is that unique to Folu? Or do you like get double attacks if your speed stat is high enough? Or do you need like an no. item? So it's not unique to him, but certain katanas give you a double attack. With some certain oh, for, oh, for, Skia, for Skias or for Ryu yes. and Skias? I think definitely for Skias. Ryu might be able to equip a couple of them. But, okay. um Yeah. You are rooting for Folu because, regardless of if he's the evil emperor, it doesn't feel like the current empire's gods or soldiers are doing it to protect their kingdom. And I'm pretty sure they say, we want to capture you, but they don't say it because they're scared of him taking over. They say it because they're scared of his power. And it's, I don't feel negatively about Folu because. I don't. There's something slimy about the soldier, basically the captain. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, the um, I... that that sort of wizened old sage-looking dude that is. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's trying to stop him. It's um, basically that that I mean, them wanting to fight him because they're scared of his power only communicates how powerful Folu is and makes him seem cooler in the eyes of the player, at least to me. And uh, yeah, and and it's uh, it's really fun switching between what's basically a normal RPG party that is getting stronger throughout the game and uncovering mysteries as they get deeper into the plot of the game, with this guy who is like almost like skipping several chapters ahead to the end and is already having an end game level conflict as his daily life. It's it's a really really cool narrative choice. That is that is maybe it's not the first time there's been a game like this, but I am enjoying it. Very very much and get you know like maybe bouncing my seat a little bit when i when i switch to a faux lube chapter <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame there aren't more of them because a lot of them are just like 30 second to a minute cutscenes. but there are maybe three or four between chapter one and chapter two um cooler enemies he gets some of the cooler subplots he's like he's just interwoven in a really nice way and i do really really like i can't think of any other major RPGs that make you swap between the villain and the hero or the antagonist and whatever. But um, yeah, I, I just really enjoy doing his segments because it makes me feel really overpowered for a brief moment. And then you have to do this really... Not easy boss fights, I would say, because they tend to have the opposite um, element to you anyway. But uh, mm -hmm. it's really cool when you get that far. You get a special move. I can't remember what it's called, but basically it does damage relative to the amount of HP Folu has. And when he turns into a dragon, he's got like... 9-9, nine, nine, pretty much. Um, and he, this move does something like 10 or 15,000 damage a hit. Oh, stacking boy. damage. It does like 2,000 damage oh, so, a hit. Oh, so, it's, so it scales with his um, current HP and, and, not yeah. like, and not with how low it is. That's, uh, it does go down depending on the difference between 
between the max and the minimum. So yeah. Okay, so, so but it's, so, but um, it, it's not it's not like frog squash. It's like the opposite of frog squash. Oh no, it is like frog squash. You're right. So the lower your no, the lower your HP, the less damage it does. Okay, so okay, all right. It's like the ultimate weapon. Yeah, that's what I was trying to think of. So okay, yeah. th that's I have not found that move yet, but it is. It is so much fun getting to like play around with endgame toys, <laughs> with uh, like uh, on occasion when uh, when most of the game is with a, a relatively normal party. I, I enjoy the Folu stuff a lot, and I hmm. and and I'm assuming that he's gonna eventually clash with the main party. I would I would love for him to join them like a like late game like a you know like Magus and Chrono Trigger or something, but I Don't sort of doubt they're gonna. I I sort of doubt that's what will happen. I, my guess is that they'll fight, but I haven't gotten that far hmm. yet. No, um, they probably will fight. Yeah, um, but <laughs> well, you say this as someone who's played the game already. <laughs> but I could, yeah, exactly. Oh no, it's not gonna. You know, he's going to join totally. No, it would be really cool if he joined, though. Yeah, mm -hmm. he's definitely the antagonist. There is a part at the end of when near the end of chapter two, uh, where you get the whole kind of um, you find out that the other half of Ryu is the Folu Empire Emperor, mm. and then they're like, we can't let you join together. Um, Sure. Decide that's... whether to go and meet him and kill him, or whether to rejoin them. So that's the kind of direction mm. the plot ends up going in, rather than let's say the Elena. Weirdly enough, so the main story of chapter one and half of chapter two ends up being the subplot for the rest of the game. Interesting. Hmm. But like, Man, I'm, I'm, really... I'm, gonna get, I'm gonna go straight back to playing this when we're done recording this podcast because I'm I. The, they're setting the table for some interesting plot stuff later, and um, bo both with the, just the hints that you get throughout the game, including the weird frog lady singing to you at the beach, and uh, and these Folu segments. They're they're um, it, it's a lot of interesting. Uh, I don't know if it's really foreshadowing, but there's there's interesting stuff that is that you can sort of see happening later, and I'm. Uh, I'm not going to call this one of the great RPG plots of the PS1 era because there's there are many better ones, but I'm I'm enjoying it as I'm playing it, and uh, it, it it has enough hooks that to keep me interested. It's good. Um, I think it does what it needs to do. It's like maybe I'd say Chrono Trigger as a comparison, but Chrono Trigger's plot is actually quite not complicated, but it's quite rich. This is kind of the snippet of SNES RPG stories in that it's fairly standard but there's enough to keep you going and it's not I don't ever find myself going oh but why doesn't this happen and why doesn't this happen and things but there's stuff that you can see that is going to happen both mechanically and story wise as well so there's like there's reason for you to carry on playing for definite one thing uh scaling it back a little bit again just com um, comparing Breath of Fire 4 to Breath of Fire 2 and 3 uh do you get the idea that maybe they ran out of money or ran out of time on developing this game? Just cause, <laughs> uh, because a few things... I think we mentioned this a little bit before we started recording, but a few things in Breath of Fire 4 seem like either cost-cutting measures or they ran out of time. Like, uh, first of all, there's not a proper world map. The, you go... Uh, mm -hmm. There's sort of a... Uh, you know, you follow dots between spots like the oh i don't know like the like the final fantasy tactics world map or something well um well breath of fire 3 i remember having a pretty rich robust world map with even hidden yeah. stuff on it and uh, and breath of fire 2 was a basically a normal snes rpg that had a you know a world map with continents that you would travel between and everything 
Um, so this doesn't have a proper world map when other games had sort of interesting world maps. And the plot seems to move in ways that are a little choppy and surprising, at least in Chapter 1. Because mm-hmm. it, you're sort of just hurtling from place to place. And the transitions between settings seem abrupt. Like, I, I mentioned how I was disappointed how there, you go you cross to the other continent and not much happens, then you're, and then you're back in jail in the first continent. It, it, that seemed like it happened really fast. And I think if this game maybe had a bigger budget or more time to develop, I wonder if they would have had more scenes or more locations to fill in the gaps a little bit. Because, I, and, and also, um, dungeons are short. Like, one thing that I don't like about Breath of Fire 3 and why I stopped playing it was because uh, I I don't remember what the dungeon I stopped at, but I remember one early dungeon was this uh, frickin' dude's house that you're just in for hours and hours. Uh, And and the the dungeon I stopped in was, I stopped because I was, uh, because it was lengthy and I was, and I lost steam. But in Breath of Fire 4, every dungeon takes five minutes. It's weird, isn't it? Especially it, for a game from that era where yeah. not necessarily the dungeons are long, but there are and like they're kind of the right length. They're a good length. So coming off the back of playing Chrono Cross and a bit of Final Fantasy IX, mm-hmm. those dungeons probably take you maybe twenty minutes, half an hour at the most if they're really, really long. These are like five, ten minute jobs, apart from maybe one that was slightly frustrating for me, but that's maybe to do with Breath of Fire's kind of Three and four is definitely quirk of having the camera almost in the corner of a room, oh, yeah. rather no, no, than the, behind or above. Yeah, the, the, the camera is a pain in the rear, and some and the like visibility around corners and near and close to your character can be a major oh. factor. The, uh, the playing hide and seek in that desert town took me probably thirty minutes oh. when, it, when it when it should have taken me ten because one freaking kid yeah. was in a, a corner that I couldn't see unless I was in a specific camera view. But uh, but but that aside, the dungeons in Breath of Fire 4 feel like there's maybe one puzzle mechanic like uh like figuring out the different cells at the cellar of that town. Yes, that's right. Or figuring out the bridges and sluices in the dam or like there's like maybe one little uh puzzle or task to solve. Hmm. And then you're and then you're out of there in 10 minutes. Where in Breath of Fire 3 I remember the dungeons being maybe slightly too long. Where in like you said other RPGs of the PS1 era, I'm used to having dungeons that are, you know, a tower or a dungeon that will be 30 plus minutes. So I wonder yeah. if Breath of Fire 4 had to rush a little bit through plot points and through dungeons because they because they were limited by time or budget. I don't know if that's true or not, but it because it feels like it it moves very quickly and some and has some RPG elements that feel short or rushed, makes me wonder if that was the case. Potentially. I mean, it's not something I've ever looked into, but I do remember thinking at times, like, so they say the plot is rushed. Essentially, the whole of Chapter 1 is just getting parts for your ship so you can go over to the other continent. But and you end up not, such... t- not, not using the ship anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... Yeah, like, you just jump from thing to thing. Like, one minute you're getting shit parts. Oh, you need to go to this village. Oh, you can't go that way because of the hex. What's the hex? You never have that explained to you at this point in the plot. Right. Very briefly. But um, you're just told you can't go into it, basically, and you have to use Urshin. And then that kind of vanishes behind you, and the hex does pop up again at the beginning of Chapter 3. 
and, then well, and, and, they, and they mentioned it at the end of chapter one when you're in the village yeah. that's right at the base of the tower they mentioned that the, the the big cannon there fires hexes that's right yeah so but they don't ever like fully explain it and they don't ever Correct. go into a lot of depth so yeah you're just jumping between town and town you're not really explain like there's no real kind of because when they come up to meet with Cray, they've got Urshin with them, but they never really introduce Urshin. It's just like, oh, Cray, I'm back. And she hugs, like Nina hugs Cray, and it's like all happy and well-to-do and everything. And and, 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 really and Cray's out. like, oh, what's up? This guy's Ryu, he turns into dragons? Cool. Yeah, exactly. There's no kind of surprise about it, which is, it is really jarring. And you brought up the world map. They, It's a really strange system they use because... I'd forgotten this game didn't have a world map, so it was quite a bit of a shock when I came to like some old torn smudged map and with a dotted path basically. And then when the question marks come up, so the idea between Breath of Fire Fall on Breath of Fire Fall's map is that you walk from a point A to point B basically. Um, but sometimes you'll get like an interaction mark partway through, and your character will stop, and you can press X, and you'll right. go into that area where it's just like an open desert or forest with maybe one treasure chest in it. But if you go out anyway, you'll come back to the map and you'll just carry on walking down. It's not yeah, like I, it's I have accidentally exited those exclamation point random spots in the map many, many times. And one, and one of them <laughs> was completely empty except for a sign in the middle. And the sign said fishing spot to the east or something. And then yeah. when I got out of there, a little fishing spot opened up on the maps. But it's like, But it's like that's... Th that's a whole lot of empty that like that seems mm. like uh um that seems like something that in breath of fire 3 they would have they would have had their big map and a, a tiny sign on the map that would have you know sh um indicated where the fishing spot was and but everything would have been represented on the map already it, it the the breath of fire 4 world map feels like it, it feels empty and and disjointed which are words I, I think I've used many, many times already in this podcast. <laughs> but it, uh, and, and, and as someone who loves a good world map, I was, I find it one of the weaker parts of the game. Yeah, for definite. I'm with you on the world map craze and that. Um, sure. I mean, I mean, but, you uh, and I both love Skies of Arcadia, which is a an all-time great world map. And so when, when I when I get a, a world map that makes me feel like I'm exploring and feel like, you know, mm. the and feel the spirit of adventure rushing through my veins, I, mm. I I get really excited. But this is this is not the case. Yeah, I'm not one of these people who are like, oh my god, I like I wear a world maps in this day and age. Like I understand they're not part of a. Sometimes I'm a that guy. Sometimes, Sometimes I am. Yes. Oh, for definite. And this is one of those games where I am because, I mean, it's of the era where there's still quite a big part of RPG culture. Like Final Fantasy X came out maybe a year afterwards and that didn't have a proper... It had a world map, but you just teleported around it and not until the very end of the game. But, like, it was still a regular occurrence. Like, most, a lot of... Like, Tales of the Abyss had a world map and that came out in 2006, which we also played earlier this year. And it's mm. like... It just feels, it feels really disjointed, I think is a good word for it, because there's no like sense of destination or journey when you're walking on one of those kind of dotted lines. It's like you're walking around and it could take you four or five days. If you're walking around on a world map, you can kind of relate to the amount of time it might take. But when you're walking on a dotted map, then it's completely different. One thing I do like, though, about the world map is you can camp and save anywhere, and that's really nice and really, really useful. So oh, yeah. there's that, I suppose. And it's free. You don't have to buy tents, which is really nice. Um, but one other thing about 
it being kind of rushed is i don't want to knock the battle system because the battle system is really nice old school turn-based rpgs and it's got some really cool elements in it that are new and fresh to breath of fire but it uses so many old things from breath of fire 3 so i don't remember if the game ever explains it to you it probably does because there's like a tutorial character in towns but there is in Breath of Fire 3, you could learn skills by defending, and if a character or an enemy attacks you with a certain skill, you'll learn that skill. Mm -hmm. Breath of Fire 4's skill system is exactly the same. There's no difference in it. You obviously learn stuff by leveling up, but there's nothing new about it. And then you have to go back to the tent, read it in the book, and you can reassign it, or you can like move it around and things like that. I have a question for you. Um, to, to reassign oh. skills, you need an item called Aurum. And yes. I, I didn't quite realize this at first, and I had, I think, three Aurum, and tried to yeah. move skills around and accidentally spent all three of it, just, like, unequipping and re-equipping <laughs> skills a couple times. <laughs> and uh, so, and I ended up with um, skills probably not where I wanted them. Like, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think Urshan has anything on my on my team right now, which, which, is too, which is too bad, because one of the best things about Urshan is that she gets all of her... MP or SP or whatever it is, uh, back instantly. Like um, she does, which is which is great. But um, so so is is Orum a, a problematic resource to collect? Because will I be able to get a lot of it later? Is basically what not, I'm asking. Not loads of it. It's not rare, but it's not common. So it's kind of in that you'll sometimes get it. You just need to look in bookcases and things like that. See, on the opposite fly of things, I've not spent any time guarding and getting skills or even practicing with masters and things like that. Because... I, I've only found one master. I'm not sure if... And it's another thing that's returning from 3, the master system, but it doesn't seem to yeah. affect your, st your stats quite as heavily this time. No, it doesn't. Because so they give it... you some kind of special skill, but that's it. They only benefit that one character. You can have a master on like three different characters, but yeah, it's just like... I don't know. Well, I mean, the thing with Masters in Breath of Fire 3, I only, again, I didn't get that far in that game. I only found the first three Masters, maybe. But they changed your stats a lot. Mm, and uh, and in Breath of Fire 4, they mentioned that you get a skill, but I think it was like one point up in one stat and one point down in another, which is way different from how it was in 3. But yeah. I, I actually have been getting skills pretty regularly. Whenever I'm at a new dungeon and there's new enemies, I'll spend the f first couple turns guarding every turn to um, <laughs> see if they they teach me anything. And in one case, uh, <laughs> and I forget what it, where it was, but um, enemies were using a spell called Frost, which is a little simple yeah. ice spell. And I remember that I learned a simple fire spell, Burn, right near the beginning of the game. So I'm like, oh, sweet, I'll get it. I'll get this ice spell. And mm. I guarded every turn for like eight turns, and they used Frost on more than half of those turns. And I decided, okay, I guess I'm not allowed to learn Frost. <laughs> but uh, so, so sometimes the system and, – and a similar thing happened when there was, there was cockroaches that used a skill called Jump. And I was sure that I could learn Jump from them, but that was also a no-go. So Yeah. Uh, so, so it's not—it's not always easy to identify what skills can be used um, and which yeah, skills can't be used. But I, I have been trying to take advantage of it a little bit, and uh, and also the, uh, the combo system comes back from Breath yeah, of Fire the, Three. Yeah, that's a really cool feature. I really am a big fan of that because you can combo skills, spells, healing spells, and it's really really handy to use. Which also. I, they do this in three as well, don't they? So if you use a fire spell on a wind spell, it will turn into a fire. I want to say fire wind spell. It's a thunder spell, isn't it, or something like that? It's a different yeah, yeah. Fire, fire and wind becomes thunder, 
and earth and fire becomes like eruption stuff. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, then, and then fire and wind becomes, I think, literally fire wind. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And it's really cool. I really like that. Um, cause you, um, one of the ways to get your master's, um, stats up and improve the boosts a little bit is by, well, I think the first master, especially you have to do these combos. So the first upgrade I think is a five hit combo. And then the next one's like a 10 hit combo and he'll give you kind of benefits if you work on that. So that's one way that that, um, kind of boosts, um, that side of the game i would say but yeah it does use a lot of elements from breath of fire 3 which is kind of disappointing but at the same time they kind of work still um and it's a versatile enough also... system system though because yeah. like it, your characters learn their own things and i think you could probably get away with not learning any skills or very many skills because yeah. the, the, none of the ones i've learned seem so powerful that i couldn't continue without them they're 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 you know they're they're all right they're good i i appreciate the level of customization that i'm allowed to use yeah, and I'd say I've only learned one or two spells really, but I've never felt the need to use them, which is also good because it means if you don't figure this cool thing out, then it doesn't matter because you're not going to need it. Um, but kind of moving aside from this game is not a rush job, but there's elements that have been reused, recycled, and things have kind of been skipped over. Mm-hmm. Breath of Fire, one, the one thing about Breath of Fire's four battle system, which is new, is the fact that when you have more than three characters, you can swap them in on the fly whenever yes, you it's want, awesome. and I love it. And it is every RPG should do it, every single one. You can switch them in on the fly, and when they're not in your party, they gain back some MP or SP or whatever it is every turn. So yeah, and- it encourages you to use your whole team. It encourages you to use skills because I'm, I'm. If you're like me, sometimes you hoard your usable items or hoard MP for some <laughs> boss battle that may or may not come eventually. But with yeah. this, with an easy way to restore your uh, your spell power, you can just by swapping people in and out, you can use your best skills almost whenever you want. And Urshan is particularly good at that since she has the rare talent of like healing back all of her sp in one turn (laughs) yeah it's good um the only thing about that is is that obviously if you've used it in battle and you come out of battle it doesn't stay with you so if you use all of urshan's mp or sp i think it's called if you use in this game there's in the different games (laughs) it's been mp sp tp in the tales games pp and earthbound um It's, uh, I'm sure it's AP in, in at least a, a couple other games. It, it, it gets a little complicated, so sometimes I just always call it MP, no matter what, no matter what it actually is. It's, yeah. Um, I've played too many RPGs, Alana. Me too. Me too. But, um, yeah, so it's a little frustrating that you can stick someone, you can use, like, I don't know, turn into one of Ryu's dragons, then take him, put him in the back, but then when you leave battle, he's back to where he, he's not restored his SP, it's mm. still kind of 20 down but it makes sense because then you don't have to use them in items in battle as well so i am like you i'm a bit of a hoarder for items and things oh things yeah, and, and for the, and for the final tools. boss you have you just have a stack of elixirs that you've never touched <laughs> and i don't touch them still <laughs> like, <laughs> right <laughs> never um but yeah um the swapping mechanic is really awesome also certain characters have support skills in battle when you put them in the back row so urshan oh, right. will sometimes mm-hmm. yeah urshan will sometimes randomly attack an enemy nina will randomly heal your party as well at certain times if you drop down too low um so it really really does encourage you to use everybody and everybody gains the same experience at all times so it's like actively encouraging you to use everybody because everyone's got their pros and cons like 
Ryu's got not great defense. Skius hasn't got very good defense at all, but he's really quick. Neither is Nina. Uh, but Kray is really powerful and he's slow. Urshin's got a low hit rate, but when she does hit, she is really powerful. So it is about balance, and it's a really, really cool feature that not many games do. Like, I don't understand why you wouldn't want to utilize your entire party. Yeah, um, FF10 d lets you switch people out at any time, yeah. and and you can see how the uh, how the turn rate and um, and like the turn order is affected whenever you switch someone in and out, and it made yeah. combat in FF10, which is otherwise mostly normal turn-based combat, seem like it flowed so quickly. Yeah, and really. and allowed you and allowed you to use um, especially early in the game when everyone has a specific strength and weakness against a certain enemy type or element type, and, and it encourages switching based on your situation and based on the enemy all the time, and it mm. feels great in both Breath of Fire four and Final Fantasy ten, and I and I don't know why, um, people, why more games don't do it. Uh, maybe it's because it's, uh, it makes it less challenging if you have this much freedom, but uh, I guess so. The only other game I can think of right away that you can do it with is Star Ocean 4, which is an action RPG. So you can literally swap anybody in from the menu in the middle of battle, and you can swap between anyone in the party in the middle of battle and control whoever you want, whenever you want. So that's similar, but... Yeah, in, I just in, in the, and in the Paper Mario games, you can sw swap your characters in and out. Yes, um, uh, some, sometimes it'll usually cost you a turn or half a turn to do it. But there's uh, items you can equip that let you do it without wasting a turn. And but that's another th case where that's part of gameplay, putting the right party members in and out for different situations. And it feels great when you do it. I don't I don't know why it's not more common. No, and it's really well done in Breath of Fire 4 because mm -hmm. you can use everybody and anybody. And also the way that battles work is it's like a really really old RPG or like Skies of Arcadia. So you tell everybody what to do first. Mm. And it's not actually based on their speed stat. It's based on the speed stat and the order that they're in. So the character yeah. in the front left will always go first. But it also then takes into consideration their speed stat. So if you've got Nina on the top left, she's probably going to go first all the time. But if you put Cray in first, then he'll go first out of your three. But he'll most likely go last out of the enemies. Or he'll yeah. go after all the enemies' turns. So... Don't put Cray in the front ever, really. Always put Nina or Ryu or Skiers in because they're the three quickest. And then just juggle around after that because it doesn't really matter too much. But um... That's useful when you're setting up combos because mm. uh, I would always... I had Burn equipped to Ryu. And um, when you cast Burn and then uh, Nina casts her Sever spell, you get a nice uh, fire, fire wind that affects the entire enemy. So... When I when I was messing around with turn order, I would always have Ryu to the left of of Nina, whether Ryu was first and uh, and Nina was second, or Ryu was second and Nina was third, because that let me set up the firewind spell basically whenever I wanted to, mm. and um, yeah. just but just just little things like that. Um, it, it, this combat system is exploitable. I don't think this is a very challenging RPG so far, <laughs> but there's a lot of there's enough cool twists to what is otherwise an old school system that I I've I've definitely enjoyed it throughout. Mm, yeah, and it may it takes because I was always worried that um, that combo system there might have been an element of randomness to it, and sometimes it doesn't work, and it depends on whether the enemies go first or not, or whether you cast the spells in the right order. But as long as you've got the right character with the right spell going first, then you'll always get a combo, so you can always guarantee how ridiculously powerful that attack's going to be. 
because Nina's really overpowered in the beginning of the game. Like, her magic is ridiculous. And if you get spells, they cost, like, nothing either. So you're kind of just, like, playing around. You'll get some combos and yeah, she, she, has a, she has a lot of MP, and there's a lot of enemies that are either strong against physical or strong against magic. So against mm. these, you know, these big heavy armored things, she will just absolutely tear them up when no, nothing that your the rest of your team has will affect them. Yeah. So she's um she's very very effective at the beginning, and uh, I and I guess maybe he's the sixth character better um, at least okay at magic because otherwise it's a pretty physical heavy team. Uh, yeah, so the sixth character is a balance between both, but she comes equipped with every second and third level fire and wind. She's got every she's got every second level fire, earth, and wind spell, but she's got a third level earth, fire wind spell and, as well. Earth, wind, and fire, you say? Yeah, earth, wind, and fire, I say. Excellent. Hmm. So let's groove tonight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> let's see, let's see. We, we've touched on a lot of the first half of Breath of Fire so far. I'm trying to search for other topics that we absolutely must address in our first episode. Oh, uh, the abundance of mini games. Oh, wow. Yeah, I forgot this is something else I'd completely blanked out. <laughs> for every place you go to, Breath of Fire has a mini game for your entertainment, I think. It is, it's not ridiculous because they're not hard. That's the nice thing about them, and they're not. I don't know, they're not difficult and they're not, they're just they're like little obstructions and sometimes I'm just a bit like, I don't really want to do this but I have to do it. But a lot of them don't take very long. So I can only really remember some later ones which are a little bit better but there's... I don't know, I, I, was, I felt like a superhero when I uh, loaded all ten crates onto the ship with two seconds left in the timer. Oh, that was a night, that one was a bit fiddly because then it, I put two crates down and then I suddenly realized you had to get to get bonus points. You had to put them in the slot that it was. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm well aware. I got all the bonus points. It was awesome. Well done. I, 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 I was born to be a video game dock worker, I guess. <laughs> um, you're born to be a shit worker. Yeah. Or a, I video guess a steve stevedore is the is the term. I've, I've seen the second season yeah. of The Wire. Uh, <laughs> so, yes. but, but yeah, there's a mini game with almost every plot point. Uh, they range from playing hide and seek with children to working oh. at a dock to uh There's a warehouse one. You know the Tales oh, games God, love that warehouse yeah, one. Yeah, God, the where stupid warehouse things. Like I, I got I got annoyed with the warehouses and Tales of the Abyss playing earlier this year. I think I only did the first two of those and there's at least four. <laughs> um Yeah. God, the uh the, the Chocobo hot and cold digging with a dog in the desert. Oh god, yeah. That one Go that to... one took me I actually used a lot of gold figuring that out because it was a the I I couldn't get things positioned exactly right. <laughs> I, used a, I used a couple of bits. But yeah, I was just they seem to love them. And there's just so many of them. Like literally, even it doesn't it doesn't die down when you get to the second half. It's <laughs> like full force. So kind of a bit of a spoiler and I'm going to do this when you get a sandflyer eventually. Okay, every uh, yeah, that makes sense. Every time you have to use it, you have to do some kind of not a racing mini game, but you have to control it round a path. Oh no, um, Alana! Yeah. Is this kind of like a gummy ship? <laughs> no, because you don't have to attack okay, anything. Good. I, so I it's don't, not I don't like have, a gummy ship. I, I don't have very many positive feelings about gummy ships, Alana. To the surprise you, you of have, to the surprise of no one. You don't need to have positive feelings about gummy ships in one for Kingdom Hearts one. Kingdom Hearts right. two, they're better. But yeah, they're not like gummy ships. There's no enemies. If you go off the course, which you can, it just puts you back to where you were. And there's no punishment for it. But 
yeah but mini games do get a relevance later on in the plot and okay it's to do with one of ryu's skills and we'll go into that when we get into the next episode because as you might notice as a hint ryu only has ryu only has one dragon form for oh most yeah and, I, and i'm aware does. and i'm aware that it from breath of fire 2 that it, you really you don't get to just stay in what, as one version of as one dragon the whole game. No, no you don't. No, you get more you get more dragon skills and mini games. Right on. Especially fishing come into play. Oh god, there's so much fishing in this game. I I am <laughs> I am the worst Breath of Fire four fisherman. I oh, I, I used I used I lost all of my bait the first time I tried. It's like you well, you know, well I hope I don't have to do this mandatorily later because I I am useless trying to catch fish in this game. Oh wow! See, I'm useless. I hate. RPG fishing, like famously hate RPG fishing. Um, Breath of Fire Force is okay. No, no, I, I don't do think the, I don't think the game is is I don't think it's a bad fishing mini game. I'm just useless at no. it. <laughs> I'm useless at most of them. Like I hated Nears. I was absolutely terrible at it. But um, they're not mandatory and they're never mandatory. But they become useful for said extra skills. Obviously, extra dragon forms that uh, we. Oh, can. extra dragon forms. Oh man. Yeah. I'm gonna have yeah. to get good then if 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 dragon forms are at stake here. You don't get them for it, so you get them wandering around or as part of. Oh, but the plot. oh, but maybe there's items that fuel or enhance them. They level them up, correct? I see. Yeah. Okay, all right. That makes yeah. that makes sense. That well, well, I that still is gonna incentivize me to try fishing because, of course, Ooh. I want to transform into bigger, stronger, cooler dragons. Of course, I do. <laughs> yes. I don't know how many dragons you've seen throughout the journey. I think you've probably only seen the sand dragon and the mud dragon. Uh, Did you yeah. get them? Yes. What do you mean get but them? But they are. Um, you can get them eventually. Oh, or, but, but or... I, I, I didn't skip something by not getting them now, did I? No. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. You, don't get, you don't get any dragons until the end of chapter two, the okay. beginning of chapter mm -hmm. three. That, that, so, all right, that sounds good. Mm -hmm. Um, What I was going to say is, is that I really like how bizarre and unique the designs are for these dragons yeah um they're not like traditional so like this the mud dragon is like a big snake isn't he really yeah, like and, big... and you can and you can like see his skeleton through a gel mm. almost like a uh almost like uh the, the pokemon of reuniclus where, where it's like a it, oh, we're it, talking it, about this a lot yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we we did talk about that the other day in a um uh privately but like it, it's almost like you can it's a it's like a skeleton suspended in gel almost and it mm. which makes it look um sort of alien the, the mud dragon now i'm talking about and uh and but these are not traditional you know four two two four or two legs two wings kind of dragons they they look really unique and different from one another, which I think is cool. I'm I'm excited to see more Breath of Fire Four dragons. Yeah, it gives you a really ethereal feel to them. So you probably if you've watched the opening movie, you have seen one other dragon, and that is the Wind Dragon, who is like reminds me of a flying Milo tick, basically. He's <laughs> just white and green. Um, but they <laughs> it's just staying to our Pokemon comparisons. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But the nice thing is that going back to the Asian theme is they all have Asian style names as well. So I can't remember the name of the Wind Dragon. Um, but they do have some really, really cool designs. And I'm really looking forward to seeing some more of them because I've got the Water, Wind, Mud and Sand Dragon so far. Um, so yeah, excited to pick up some extra ones. Also, um, have you seen Folu's dragon, or like his kind—not his dragon transformation, but 
where he like flies. I don't think that's yeah. Where you are at the well, um, uh, you do see that because uh, in the last cutscene in chapter one, you see he's uh, that's right. He um, he defeats one of the masked dragons that uh, that the empire has, and then turns into one himself and flies away. So there's a there's a brief chase sequence where it almost mm. looks like a like a dragonfly, but instead of the insect body, it's sort of like a more of a snake like body. Mm. With, yeah. with, with sort of shorter wings, but they're they're two pairs of wings. Yeah, it's um, really cool. Yeah, no, no, it's it's a cool interpretation, and it's, and it's not like a traditional Western-looking dragon. Yeah, which is really neat, and I really like them. Um, so yeah, yeah, I guess dragon guess transformations, more plot machinations, uh, <laughs> more drunken dogs. A sixth character I haven't met yet because I'm I'm a little mm -hmm. be be more behind than I was planning to for this episode. Where else do we have to go before we sign off? Um, I think we're almost done. Just kind of, you don't even get the sixth character until chapter three. So oh, okay. Still a I was, I was not aware of that. She just kind of jumps in, <laughs> but things do pick up a little bit. So after Windia, you do tend to get more, like a lot more happens and a lot of things make sense and the story shifts a little bit and suddenly you realize that this whole looking for Elena thing is not the main crux of the story anymore because you know you have a boy that turns into dragons with you that's way more important than a princess who's been kidnapped obviously and his like evil emperor twin who's cooler than him sadly and speaks in really ye old English like <laughs> I, I, I like Folu's archaic speech it's but, I, hmm. I, I, I never found it to be a problem Oh, it's not a it's not a problem at all. It's very enjoyable, um, especially seeing as he's like, I don't want to say he's Asian, but he's designed to be an Asian emperor. Yeah. So I don't expect him to speak like that. I was expecting, I guess, traditional, but not like almost med not medieval, but like you said, you've used you coined it perfectly, really. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, oh shoot, it's like Lo Pan and Big Trouble in Little China, which make which just makes it even cooler <laughs> in my book. <laughs> Oh, big trouble in Breath of Fire Four. Oh, <laughs> big big trouble in Little Folu. <laughs> oh. But I think that about does it for episode one fourteen of Retro Encounter. Um, thank you for listening, listeners. Alana and I are really excited to continue playing this and talk about it even more in two weeks because. Part 2 is coming in two weeks and not next week. Next week is going to be a special year in review 2017 episode for Retro Encounter. We have not recorded it yet, but it's going to be a panel of six trying not to talk over each other across three <laughs> continents. So good luck, us. Yeah, good luck. Across how many different time zones as well? Like four? I think it's only three time zones because... Um, because oh, you're Because, uh, yeah, Peter, Marcos, and I are all on the East Coast. So... Uh, Ah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Michigan's weird. Michigan has two time zones, and Peter's on the eastern half. So it's good. So, uh, so it, it's only three time zones, but it's three, also three continents. So, oh boy. Ooh. And um, after that, we. Uh, I think it's. I think it's okay for me to announce this. I won't say exactly what games yet, but um, in January we're going to be playing three different games for our special game journals. Each of them is going to be an indie game that's a little shorter and has a different panel for each game. We did a similar thing in, I believe, uh, February or March of 2016, where we played Juniper's Knot, uh, To the Moon, cool. and Gone Home. 
and uh, we had a lot of fun doing that. So we're doing sort of a sequel to that, playing three different indie games, each one of them having their own episode. But I won't say which games those are yet. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you next week, I guess. But if you want to reach us directly, listeners, you should do so uh, via email at retro at RPGfan.com. Go onto the RPGfan.com message boards, visit the RPG Fan Facebook page, or the RPG Fancom Twitter. Uh, throw thoughts and reactions to them, and someone will respond, probably. Uh, please review us on iTunes or any various podcast listening venues that you have. We love feedback. We love five-star reviews the most, but please... Just be honest and tell us what you think. So, um, Alana, if a listener wants to get in contact with you, how should they do so? So, the best way to get in touch with me is probably on Twitter. Uh, you can find me on at Alana Hagues. As I said at the beginning, I'm diving falcons on the boards. I'm also diving falcons on our um, what's it called Discord on our new Discord. Oh, um, right, so, yes. Which has gone pretty public. So, I'm on there kind of on and off. Unfortunately, I tend to go on there while I'm at work, while it's really quiet at the moment. So. Yeah, it's a nice, we've got a nice, interesting, diverse community, and I think it's really worth interacting with them on there. Um, the forums are still in use as well, so if you prefer the traditional method, then do that. But yeah, if you really, really want to get hold of me, then just tweet me. Um, it's probably the best way to do it. You're right. I forgot about Discord. I think I, I, think I have um, given a shout-out to the Discord on some other episodes, but probably not enough. Um, we do have an RPG fan Discord. I think it may be invite-only, so if you do need require an invitation, go onto the RPG fan message boards and inquire on the on the thread there, and um, Grieg, our moderator, or one of the other staff members will be able to get you into the Discord. It is a popping discussion. It's always There's always too many updates for me to follow it properly. <laughs> on top of our own messaging system, it's like... It's kind of overwhelming because it's like I have fifty messages on this one and a hundred messages. Yeah, jeez, I, 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 I have, oh. yeah, I have some personal limit on how much social media I can engage in before it comes too much, and Discord might be the might be over my limit. I, I, I have used the Discord some, but maybe, uh, but not enough for it to, you know, really count as me engaging in it. Mostly, whenever post someone posts something in the sports mini game, I'll, I'll say something snarky and complain about how the Wizards are bad. <laughs> oh. Never get it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and listeners, if you want to contact me directly, uh, you can find me on Twitter as at the Real Monsoon or at Evoker for Dogs. And on the forums, I am I am Monsoon. On Discord, I I think I'm also Monsoon, probably. No, I'm Monsoon Mike on Discord. Okay, that's what I am. <laughs> so uh, I think that about does it for Retro Encounter this week. Look forward to 2017 year in review next week. Thank you. Good night, and good luck.